0: Um, I was thinking of a couple. Uh, I just wanted to thank Christy Pelton too, just for coming up and releasing a word and encouraging us during worship. And uh, thank you, Christy Pelton. Yeah, praise God. And um, I also wanted to draw your attention to our uh, our little artist painting station on the stage. And uh, I just want to thank Jen Hune. Oh, she's been uh, just. Seeing and sensing what the Lord's doing in the service. And then uh, sometimes we release, we release that in word or song. But um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Lord release it in painting. And so we're just it's getting that picture from heaven and then putting it on a canvas. And so I thank it for that. One of these days we're going to um, start sharing a little bit more about what God's showing her in the spirit. And, uh, but it's some really good stuff. I've just been enjoying that. Um, I, also, I want to talk about two other things. First of all... Um, so let me set it up this way: we uh, we probably have uh, each each weekend, um, man, woman, and child probably have an uh, average probably about 160, 170 people on a weekend in our building on, on Sundays. And uh, but each month, we're probably around about 250 people, 250 uh, individual people come through the, the doors on Sunday mornings. And uh, so that so it shows you a, a weekly average, and then a, and then a Sunday morning average. I'm telling you that because um, in a few weeks, over three days, we're going to have over uh, somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 people uh, come through these doors. And uh, and so it's not a not a, a something we take lightly. It's something that, that the Lord is is really doing. Every single person have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, and uh, and plus uh, we intentionally uh, st- started a series called Light in the Darkness because it, i'll just i'll just be honest with you i um this is in in no way to, to for guilt, shame, and condemnation on anybody in this room by any means just my personal my family and, and my personal conviction um i I actually hate Halloween just my just my own my personal thing i, I just i i don't like it i hate it um i, I I hate anything that has any hint of, of like celebrating the devil or Satan or his his goons and all that. Um, and I know there's all kinds of you know candy and 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 seemingly innocent stuff and all that. I did, But I just don't like it. And so there's also there's 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 talk every once in a while about why would why would you even do anything um, near uh, like in association with that holiday. And I. Um, I totally understand that, those thoughts and those feelings because that's, I mean, I, I don't like it um, either. Um, but the, the, ser- the sermon series is the reason why, uh, uh, where we can be a light into darkness. Uh, where uh, I, I just have a hard time with Satan getting to have like one day out of the calendar year. You know, I just, I'm i like, really? We're just going to like kind of close our eyes and pretend it doesn't exist. We're just going to like, you know, go to bed and wake up in the morning and, you know, on, on November 1st and be like, it's over, right? No. Or uh, we can be on the offensive, right? We can be a light in the darkness. And that, that's, the, that's the heart, um, uh, this, this event. We're really a city on a hill. We're a, we're a lighthouse into the community. Um, and so just being here, I think there's something spiritual that happens in our city when we do it. Um, also, you and I, the Bible says that we are light. Uh, and Jesus said, let your light shine. In the darkness, and so um, every every part that you play, whether you give financially, and I would encourage you to to um, give financially into an event that impacts that many people, or whether you show up and uh, and uh, hammer a, a nail or or do a staple into some cardboard or paint something as you're setting up for maybe you come and, and you help set up, maybe you're here for one of those uh, three days and and uh, participate in Fall Fest, or you you come at the end and help us, to, you know transform this room back into to church, right? Whatever part you play, you're a light into darkness. And, uh, and so I just want to thank you for that. This would be my encouragement. Uh, some of you may, may, maybe you're out of town or maybe you physically can't, uh, can't help, but um, could I challenge every single person in this room, could you give two hours sometime between now and, uh, and, and Teardown for Fall Fest that first week in November, could you just, would you just say, you know what, I could find two hours. I could do something and, and really impact this community. Is that, was that a good enough commercial for you for Fall Fest? All right. That's from your pastor. I would just ask if there's any way for you to do that. And then there's, there's one other thing. I forget the dates. Um, they had it on the scroll, the Andy Glover dates. We have, um, we have uh, four time slots, a, a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, coming up in November. Did someone have the dates for me? Eleventh through the thirteenth, and um, I would I would also encourage you. Um, there's a lot of giving out right now, especially gearing up for a big event like this. This will be a time for you to come and receive. This will be a time for you to come and rebuild and be and be filled. We need. Times on our calendar more than just our regular devotion time, more than our regular Sunday morning come and be filled or anything. We need some times that we can set aside and say, "Okay, Lord, I need some. I need some recharge. I need I need the gas tank filled. I, I need to be equipped to be able to go back into my workplace, back into my family, back into to my sphere of influence." And that's what I viewed this time with Andy Glover, those four nights uh, or three nights and, and then a Sunday morning. Um, so if you if you have time, would you make it to at least part of that, if not all of that, and just kind of sew into your Spiritual walk with the Lord. All right, good. You say, get off the commercials and and now preach. Light into darkness. Um. By the way, thanks for covering for me last week, Bo. You're awesome. I got to, I got to listen to him. Uh, I, I think on Tuesday I listened to his message and I was just, I was just blown away. Um. You have, a, you have a really good pastor over here you knows so how to hear from the Lord. And I just thank you for how real you were and honest and, and just um, just sharing from your heart. Our first, the first week of this series, he's never done that before, like kicking off a series, and he did that last week. And, and it was about, um, as we're leading up, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a goal in mind over these four weeks of, of light into darkness. And the goal is, is how, how do we release our light into a dark world? And so we thought, well, first things first, let's rewind. What about my own darkness? And Bo just did a brilliant job of talking about the areas that God has revealed through his light, revealed in his heart, in his soul, that, and, and helped him get healing and freedom. And, and really encouraged all of us. Man, if, if, if Bo has junk, then, then I can get rid of my junk, right? You know? and uh, Isn't that a great, just a great thing when someone can just be honest and vulnerable and, and you realize, oh, the pastors in this place were not perfect either? I, I like that. That's good for me to know, and and so the encouragement from last week comes out of Psalms when David said, "Search me and know me." So before I go out and minister, before I go out and be the light in the dark world, Lord, would you first search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me? And this week um, is a is a little bit different, but I want to in setting up this uh, this series. Here's the thought for the whole series: Darkness will be expelled in your world to the extent that you shine your light. It is impossible for darkness to be where light is. Our, our text, and I think uh, Bo referenced it last week, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, says, You are, he's talking to you, he's talking to me, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine, so shine, before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I love that. I, I love that principle. And, and it, how many know that, it, that it's the Lord's light in us, right? Um, it, it's, it, it, I liken it to like 1 Corinthians um, 12 when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, how many know where the gifts come from? Well, God, Holy Spirit, right? You know, but they're gifts, so he gives them to me. So I, 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 get, I get the opportunity to either use them or not use them, right? It's a gift. He doesn't take it back. It's kind of like this. He gives us light. And now, he's, and now the Lord says, now this is your light. It comes from him, but now it's yours. And you get the opportunity to decide whether or not you want to let your light shine or not. Uh, great responsibility we have. It, th- that that um, chapter, chapter 5 of, of Matthew, it comes out of a, of a whole sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes on the scene and and he starts his earthly ministry. And one of the very first things he does is preach a really, really, really long sermon. He just wanted to make sure that he had some good followers, and you know, so he was weeding them out. Those that fell asleep, they didn't count. Those that were with him, they counted. No, just a little, little, a little bit of preacher humor there, and. So the, but the Sermon on the Mount is just incredible. It's, it's really Christianity 101, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you go and read, there's these principles right out of the chute that Jesus was wanting to share with all those that would choose to follow him. And, and so in this, he, he talks about letting our light shine. Um, and the whole sermon, it was radically different. The Sermon on the Mount was radically, a radically different agenda than what the nation of Israel expected from the Messiah. The Messiah was, he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom in, in their mind, right? He was going to kick butt and take names and, and he was going to kick out Rome and set up Jerusalem. This, the Messiah was going to come and do that. And it was, so this whole message, it was radically different. Instead, it talked about the spiritual implications of the rule of Jesus in our lives, and so it wasn't as much about a, a sermon on salvation as it was directed to those who were believers, who were disciples. Um, and so it's really how, how to live this radical Christian life. And so we, we come through this, we realize, oh, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Well, the story we're going to be in today comes in Matthew chapter 8, so it's right after this sermon. And the title today is The Darkness Around Me. So once I, once I identify and deal with the darkness in me, now I'm, I'm dealing with the darkness right, right around me. The, or in other words, the darkness that surrounds me. What do I do about that? Um, and so I want to talk about this story in the Bible. Some of you guys have heard the story in Matthew 8 where Jesus calms the storm. Um, you remember that? Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and a huge storm comes, and Jesus calms this storm. And... Um, Some of the background here is that his disciples are really in training. They're in training this whole time. But these are like newbies, like um, just barely into training. Uh, He recruited them in chapter 4 of Matthew. He shares this really, really long sermon over Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And now they're learning how to be a disciple. They're really learning how to be like Jesus, right? Uh, Which is interesting because... So Matthew chapter 7, there's a verse that says, um, beware of the wolves. Jesus is telling them, beware of the wolves in Matthew chapter 7. How many know that's a good idea? Well, who were the wolves? Well, they were, they were the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They were, they were the ones that the, uh, the disciples came out of that environment, uh, that Jewish culture of, of everything they ever knew was being taught by either the Pharisees, Sadducees, some of the religious uh, leaders of that day. And so now they're following a new teacher, and Jesus is saying, beware of the wolves. Why? Because, uh, because they hadn't, uh, they, they hadn't, everything hadn't shifted yet in their heart. Their, their mindsets hadn't completely shifted yet. They hadn't completely changed it. It would be really easy to go back to everything they ever knew, right? And so beware, beware of, of the teaching. Keep your eyes on me, follow me closely. Matthew 7, beware of the wolves. Well, about a year and a half later, scholars think about a year and a half later, uh, Matthew chapter 10 happens. And in Matthew chapter 10, what Jesus say to his disciples? He says this, he says, now I send you out among the wolves. Which is, I always just think that's just really cool. In, in 7, as they're these new recruits, it was beware. In chapter 10, after they've spent time with Jesus and watched miracle after miracle and breakthrough after breakthrough, now he says, now you're ready. And what's he do? He sends them about two by two, and they go out without Jesus and do some miracles on their own. I mean, it's just, just an incredible principle of this discipleship process of watching how Jesus did it. Jesus did it, and they watched. Jesus did it, and they helped. They did it, and Jesus watched. And then he just says, now you're ready to just do it. I mean, it's just the discipleship model. It's awesome. I love it, and we see that as we come into this story because these are disciples in training. It's just like you and me. The, every moment that happens uh, is a perfect opportunity for uh, for teaching and training. And this is what how Jesus responds to this story. They uh, Matthew chapter eight verse twenty three and twenty seven or uh, through twenty seven. Um, is this? Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. I mean, that's a good idea. Follow Jesus, right? And that, that was this whole, um, this whole story. You see that they followed Jesus into this situation, right? Uh, in, a, in another, in another gospel. In fact, this story is in three gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, which to me tells me that the Lord wants us to really know about this story. In one of the Gospels, um, he says, "He says we're going to go over to the other side of this lake, of this sea, the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and so here it says the disciples followed him. Um, how many know that when Jesus says we're going over there, we're going to get over there? Right? I, just, I, I love those little nuggets as you read um, the story. They really had nothing to fear in the first place because, because the destiny was already laid out. Verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. We'll come back to that. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now remember, they're early on in their training, and they're like, this is nuts. They've seen a little bit, but really? I, I, when you read this, you have, to, you have to kind of meditate on it a little bit, kind of study it and, and understand what's going on here. So these were expert fishermen. These guys had grew up on the water. Uh, this, uh, it was likely Peter's boat. It was big enough to hold 13 of them, and they were setting sail. These guys, uh, uh, these guys were experts. It, also, the, the Sea of Galilee, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't incredibly huge, um, but it was really, really deep. It was about 150 feet deep, and, and, and it was known because of the mountains and the, and the uh, weather and stuff around there, it was known to have huge storms. But the storms normally came in the afternoon. And as we read here, when you read in, in the account in Mark, um, they actually were setting sail at night, which was really common. The fishermen would go out and they'd fish at night or they'd go out and sail at night. It was really common. But, it, it's, just, but it's interesting here. So they are going out into darkness. This is, this is nighttime. And, and none of them are expecting a storm. These are experts. They would, they would know, um, wait, I think there's a storm coming in. Uh, it, it, this feels different. They would know all that, and when they were in a storm, they would know how to handle a storm. These these, these weren't like novices. This wasn't like like Jonathan out on a canoe. And like, what, what's going on? First of all. Jonathan, you know, maybe take off your, you know, your your, your no, the normal clothes that you would wear. Let's let's dress for the occasion and 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 you're gonna get dirty and all that right. You know, this was this wasn't like a novice. This wasn't Pastor Jonathan in a canoe in a storm. I mean that that would be hilarious. These were guys that knew what they were doing. And so they they set sail and suddenly now. I'm not saying, I'm not going I'm, I'm to like, give you a theology here that says that that storm was utterly demonic. Um, it, it could have been a natural storm. We know that that, that lake uh, or, or sea received lots and lots of, of storms. But it's interesting that it says suddenly. Out of the blue it just comes. And, um, and I think it's, it's possible, in fact very possible, that the, that the enemy, um, he, he always wanted to disrupt Jesus' plans. He wanted to take Jesus out from day one. And now Jesus and his disciples who were going to change the whole world. And suddenly a storm comes. Now this wasn't just any storm. This was an incredible storm. This was a storm that was, that was dangerous enough that these expert fishermen were afraid. And, and it was common for there to be 20-foot waves. I mean, just imagine. I'm about uh, six and a half feet tall right? Can you imagine how tall these waves were? And so these guys were, were afraid, and, and they were afraid for their lives. And so they, um, they, they come to, to Jesus, and he's sleeping. Now, can you just let that sink in for just a moment? I can imagine him not being afraid, because he's Jesus. I can imagine him having like complete control over his emotions and being being the man full of faith. But can you imagine him asleep with twenty foot waves? And the Bible says that the boat was filling with water. I mean, now I know that um, we know that he pushed pause on his ability to to function as God. We know that that he took on the form of a man, and so there was humanity involved. I, I imagine he was exhausted. But even, even at utter exhaustion, I just, can't, I just can't picture him sleeping in the storm. It's just me. So they come to him, and, and they're freaking out. These experts are freaking out because they are going to die. And in their expert opinion, this is it. And they say, Lord, save us. In other words, how could you be sleeping at a time like this? And they, they come to the right person. Could we just agree on something in this room? Or Just humor me. Uh, could we say that, that direct application to our life right now, going to Jesus, uh, could we say that that's prayer? You know, they're, they're going to the right person. They're talking to him. They're asking him to save the day. You know, could, could you do something here? Could we say that we, we do that too? We go to Jesus. We ask him to save the day. We ask him to come through in our situations. And So I'm, I'm, just, I'm comparing that to prayer right now. And just like us, some, they come and they're, they're, they're freaking out. Oh, God. Isn't that like the simplest, like heartfelt prayer you could ever have is, oh, God. It's all coming down. We're not going to get through this. And, and, it's, and it's true. Whatever that means for you, whatever, whatever in, you know the situation you're going through now, or maybe there's a story of a situation you had been through, or or maybe you're imagining a situation to come, and whatever, wherever you're at, it's not that it's not true, and it's not that the Lord doesn't um, have compassion and sympathy on your situation. But but we come to Him like that. Lord, save the day. Come through and and, and break through in the situation. Lord, would you do and, and, and the however, and, and you get your your biggest prayer on, you know, and, and all the scripture verses you can remember up to that, that point, and, and you speak in King James because that makes it better. And so so that was the situation. So Jesus woken up out of a, out of a dead sleep. And again, the disciples woke him up, not the storm. They wake him up, and he tells them, Oh, you of little faith. And then he speaks to the storm, and these guys are utterly amazed that the winds and the waves obey him. And I'm again just amazed at the interaction, like, they went to the right person. They went to Jesus. They prayed. Jesus is supposed to save the day. But do you remember we're in training? Every, every moment, the, the disciples, they're, they're, they're on they're, they're new, fresh recruits. They're interns. And, and Jesus is, is teaching them. And and what you find here is he's teaching them a greater principle than Lord save the day. He's teaching them uh, that that they're... That, Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He's teaching them that that your voice has power too. In fact, I I love the quote from Bill Johnson. He says it this way a a preacher out in, in Redding, California. He says that if Jesus did miracles on earth because he was God, I'm impressed. But if he did miracles on earth as a man connected to God and Holy Spirit, then I'm compelled to follow him. The the principle comes out of Philippians chapter 2 where it says that that when you read Philippians 2, you realize that it was like Jesus intentionally pushed pause on his ability to function as God on earth and fully stepped into humanity and and walked and and talked on earth as a human. At any moment, he could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't stop being God. He stopped functioning as God. Does that make sense? He was 100% God, 100% human at the same time. Now, when I say, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense, but you, you agree with me, right? And so he did it for, for this reason, because it, it's really cool that Jesus can do miracles. But when he says, go and be like me, how many of you said, uh, whether it be a miracle or something, else, and you're like, well, I'm not Jesus. Right? Have you ever done that? Maybe as an excuse for living right or something? or You're like, well, that's easier said than done, Pastor. I'm not Jesus. But he had to push pause on his ability to function as God in Philippians 2 so that we, there could be a perfect example for us to follow so that everything that he said would be actually attainable. And, and that principle, you see that all throughout the Gospels and all throughout Scripture. And so it applies in this situation too. He was saying, if I could calm the storm, so can you. I just, I don't know where I'm at, so. We're we're learning about um, light into darkness, and so today is really about what do I do when darkness surrounds me? You can think about your own situation. It could it could be um, the full on demonic attack. It could it could be a storm of life. It could be something, but where you're like, no, this is darkness. What do I do when I'm surrounded by darkness? Um, The main thought for this message is this. Darkness never distracted, disrupted, or discouraged Jesus because he knew who his father was and he knew who he was. This isn't the example he set for us to follow. We're going to see that as we move on here that I I want to watch how Jesus responded to this storm. I want to watch what he did and then I want to see how he did it because I think we're going to see some principles here um, that are just utterly amazing because he's setting an example, a perfect example for us to follow. And, and part of this was Jesus wasn't, like, caught off guard. He wasn't disrupted. He, he wasn't distracted. He was perfectly 100% in control this whole time. And so he responded instead of reacted, Right? You know what I mean by reacting versus responding? We react when something happens, or we take a step back and we can respond. If any of you are parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so I want to answer, let's answer these two questions. What did Jesus do, and how did Jesus do it? All right, first, you guys with me? We're doing good? We got plenty of time, plenty of time. Have faith, my dear children. <laughs> what did Jesus do? Number one, number one, he slept in the storm. If you're taking notes, he slept in the storm. That I already told you, but that amazes me that Jesus slept in the storm. We learn. So, what do we what do we learn from the fact that Jesus slept in the storm? We learn that the darkness and the storm and the surroundings didn't affect his peace level. He, he wasn't planning on calming the storm that day. He was planning on sleeping through it. That, that's interesting to me too. He wouldn't have calmed the storm if the disciples hadn't of uh, freaked out. He was planning on sleeping through the storm. Um, Jesus doesn't get worked up. No matter how bad it gets, Jesus functions and responds from a place of rest and peace, not a place of panic. He he slept in the storm. That's the first thing I see that he did. We're going to find out how he did it. But can we just look at that and just take that in for a minute? That Jesus' response to this storm in the very beginning was, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to sleep through this thing. I'm not freaking out. The other thing I see here, too, is um, he rebuked the winds and the waves. Well, he also rebuked the disciples. But he rebukes the winds and the waves. And they were amazed at this. He changes the atmosphere. The atmosphere didn't change him. That's a big deal. You've heard probably heard the, the example of, of a thermometer versus a thermostat. You know, a thermometer is affected by the atmosphere, It'll, it gauges the temperature. It's going to be up or down based on what's happening in the room. And a thermostat sets the temperature. Jesus set the temperature. He set the atmosphere. It was, it was going crazy, and he's like, no, not in my house or boat. And so he spoke to the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him because he sets atmosphere. Again, what's he teaching us? Well, we can set atmosphere as well. I, I like, uh, and, and I'm just, and I'm not going to have time to like really dive deep and teach all the theology around everything I say here today. Um, I almost did a sermon specifically on the power of words because of Jesus speaking to that storm um, you realize how, how much power there is in the words that we speak. You know that even if uh, you're not a believer, that there's power in your words. You know that there's multi-billion dollar industries on uh, self-help books and thinking positive and speaking positive. Uh, you want to know where they got that? The Bible, right? Like There's all these principles. Well, I mean, Philippians, Paul talks about thinking on what? Good things, pure things, holy things, right things. Um, i mean there 's all of this stuff it 's just just straight up bible they just they just don 't know it and so the, there 's a power of of words, but imagine when those words are spirit empowered i mean it 's it 's like it 's like you 're throwing gasoline on this thing and so Jesus is standing up and speaking to this storm and um, and he 's telling us that we I, I just want you to know i I'm not going to do a whole sermon on how he spoke to the storm and what you should say and, and all of this. I, but I just want you to know there's power in the words that you say. And, and Jesus was setting an example there. Um, I thought it was interesting. He didn't ask the Father to intervene. He didn't stand up and, and be like, Father, if you care about us, would you or anything? He didn't say any, any of that. He just, he just spoke to the winds and the waves. I, I thought it was interesting. He didn't recite scripture He didn't like like just uh, because I'm speaking to these these winds and waves, this demonic encounter that's happening right here. You say according to you know Psalms, whatever. In Jesus' name, he didn't recite scripture. Um, I thought that was interesting. He didn't say like it is written. He did that a lot. It is written, and every and then like just totally like undone the Pharisees and everything. He didn't do any of that. He just simply took authority by saying, "What did he say? Peace be still." Peace be still. That's all, he, that's all he, he did. That's all he said. And the winds and the waves obeyed. So there was, there was a principle going on. There was something that happened there. That there was a reason why the winds and the waves uh, obeyed, them, obeyed him and had to obey him. And so we're going to watch that in just a minute. This wasn't, there wasn't a debate with the winds and the waves about who had more authority and jurisdiction in the area. There wasn't even a conversation. This was a command, and nature responded to his voice. I like um Psalm one o three some of you maybe know this verse nineteen um, and twenty, but uh, it says this: "The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Verse twenty: Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of his word and and there's a huge principle here. Again, we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but this is what I believe about this verse, and I, think, and I, I, just, I really think this is just straight-up Bible. But um, who, who do you think the voice of his word is? You, you and me. We, we give voice to the word of God. And as we out loud declare Scripture, Bible, truth, angels heed the voice of his word, they actually carry out assignments, I believe, and that as we are praying as we 're declaring as we 're releasing scripture, I, I believe that there's angels re- waiting in the balance, saying, I just hope they pray today, I just hope they re- recite scripture today, I hope they they give me I need the voice of his word so that I can heed that I think there's angels like, but you know what also on the other side, I think uh, the demonic side, the demonic angels, I, I believe that they hear the voice of his word too. I think that as opposed to heeding it, I think that there is incredible battle that goes on when you release his word and you release truth into situations. So number, so number two under what Jesus did was he rebuked the winds and the waves and they obeyed him. Here, here's the, the next question. So how, how, how did Jesus do it? Let's see, it. how did Jesus do this? Number one, he knew who his father was, God. There was no question in his mind who his father was. He was able to sleep in the storm because he knew who his father was. Um, I told you already, but Mark's account says that Jesus said right before they went, he said, come, let's go over to the other side. Um, Jesus was confident you know, you know the scriptures that, that where it gives us the principle that it says that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, and he only said what he heard his father saying. Have you, you heard those? It, just incredible scriptural foundation here. If Jesus did it that way, we need to do it that way. For him to go over to the other side of this sea, he had to have been following his father over there. Jesus was following his father. His father hadn't let him down yet. He wasn't going to start now. How could he sleep at a time like this? Here's another thought. Um, He hadn't got to the other side yet. He could could sleep because the destiny hadn't been fulfilled. Now, I mean, Jesus' overall mission wasn't completed and all that. But this little assignment in the midst of a big mission was I'm going to the other side. And he could sleep at a time like this because the mission, the, the boat wasn't going down. This whole thing wasn't capsizing because, because he hadn't fulfilled his mission yet. He hadn't gotten to the other side. How could he sleep at a time like this? Because there was a track record that time after time after time his father had come through for him. Time after time. There was a, there was a track record where I put my trust in the father and the father does what he says he's going to do. I put my trust in the father and the father does what he says he's going to do. How could he sleep at a time like this? Because even though the storm was real and dangerous, and it was, it was dangerous. It was dangerous out there. We already said, said that. But there was a greater reality going on. He could sleep at a time like this because there was a greater reality than this dangerous storm. I love the story in Second Kings chapter 6. Verse 16 and 17 gives us kind of a a snapshot here right at the end of the story. But there was uh, Elisha and his servant. And there was an army, there was an enemy that was surrounding their camp. And just like the the disciples in Jesus' day, the the servant of the man of God comes and says, What are we going to do? They're surrounding us. For sake of this message, could we just say the darkness was surrounding them? And so he comes, and he, and, and he says, what are we going to do? This is impossible. It's over. It's checkmate. We've got to throw in the towel. There, there's no other option here. And, and this was uh, um, Elisha's answer. He, so he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes, uh, the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So how could Jesus sleep at a time like this? I think he saw. I think he saw what was behind the storm. I think he realized that greater was he who was in him than he who was in the world. That that there was more for him than was against him. He could sleep at a time like this because he knew something that they didn't know. How could he sleep at a time like this? Because Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I, I'm not belittling the storms that you're going through, the things that are causing fear, all of the the darkness and the junk that maybe are even happening today or this week, but you know that it's a sin to worry. You know that it's a sin to not trust. If I'm not trusting God, I'm I'm basically I'm saying uh, uh, I, I've got this one, or, or there's something else. Uh, there's there's a greater source. Uh, if I'm uh, right. When you fear, the object of fear or the person of fear, you are elevating that above God. It actually becomes an idol. And so when we choose to trust in him, it actually says you will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How could he sleep at a time like this because he knew who his father was? Number two, this, this, is, this is the other thing that happens here. This is, this is the how. He knew who he was. We see what Jesus did. He slept in the storm and he rebuked the winds and the waves. How did he do it? One, he did it because he knew who his father was, but he also knew who he was. He was able to speak to the storm because he knew who he was. You know what? That authority flows out of identity. Identity. That, that my, my authority as a man of God flows out of that place where I understand who I am and why I am. That I understand that I am a child of God, that, that I'm a son of God. Uh, Jesus knew this. He was the son of God. And he had no questions about it. He had no doubt. There was no question in his mind who he was. He was the son of God, end of story, period. Period. But we have to remember this whole thing that he was setting an example for us to follow this whole time. He, would, he didn't do this just because he was God. He didn't stand up, I am the Son of God. Blah, blah. He, he did it because he knew who he was. There was a place of identity he functioned from, not towards. He's telling us that our ability to speak to storms, to speak to the darkness, is directly related to our identity in him. Watch this. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, it says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, Daddy God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This is great. Could we just agree by reading that passage that we are children of God? Could we agree by reading Romans eight right here that, that that there are sons and daughters of God sitting in this room if you're a believer, if you have Jesus in your heart, could we just believe that we are children of God, we are sons and daughters in this room could Could you also believe by reading these verses right here that last verse could or the um uh, verse sixteen, could you also believe with me right now that not only are you just a, an adopted child of God that uh, you know that's just somewhere down the ranks, the red headed stepchild or something could could you Nothing against red, redheads, by the way. Could you, um, could you believe this? That we are co-heirs with Jesus? He says that right here. And the reason is, is because we get an equal inheritance. In that culture, it was the firstborn son that got it all. And he specifically says we are co-heirs with Jesus right here to say that we get an equal share of this inheritance. You're not just a child of God. You're not just an adopted child. You are 100% a son or daughter of the King of all kings and Lord of all lords, and and you get equal rights and equal inheritance with the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Isn't that crazy? So if you believe that with me, can we also, there's just like a couple verses later, Romans Romans 19. It says this. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You got to read that. In, this is, it is just like two verses later. He, he's talking about you and me. In other words, what is creation waiting for? What is creation groaning for and longing for and and waiting in eager expectation for? What is it? Creation, all of creation is waiting for you to show up. For you to come into agreement with the identity that God's given you. For you to fully be everything that God's called you to be. Creation is waiting and groaning and longing for you. For the sons of God to be revealed. Can I get a clean up over here on yeah. creation's waiting. And creation had already seen Jesus come into agreement with his identity. Creation had already seen Jesus fully accept who he was as a son of God. And it was from that place of identity that he was able to wake up out of his slumber and go and speak. To the winds and the waves. And he's saying, he's saying that to us too. He's really saying saying this. This is the principle in this whole story when we're responding to the darkness around us. There's only two responses. You're either gonna sleep through the storm or you're gonna speak to it. That was Jesus' response. Either the darkness and the storm and all the things that are going around you, you're able to just be at perfect peace and sleep through it and ride this one out. Or you're called to speak to it. There's no other option. Daughter of God. Son of God. Now, obviously we could, we could go to Jesus and have Jesus save the day. But he's saying, could you rise up to the next level? Could, could you just fully embrace who you are? Could you know that your voice is powerful? That when you lay hands on the sick, it's just as powerful as Jonathan laying hands on the sick. That when you speak the word of God, it's just as powerful as Jonathan speaking the word of God. Could you realize that we are all saints in this room, that we are all men and women of God that are called to step into our callings? You don't you didn't when when he was passing out Holy Spirit, you didn't get like the junior Holy Spirit? You didn't get a defect. You're, you are fully capable, fully anointed. And as you see yourself with darkness surrounding you, may the Lord give you eyes to see and ears to hear in this hour. When darkness surrounds and the winds and the waves are distracting and it's just crazy and it's loud and it, and the boat's filling with water and it's 20-foot waves and you've you're experts. Like, you know how to do this life. You're not a novice and you're sitting here like, this thing, we're going to die. We are going to die. Could you remember that you're called to either grab your pillow and sleep through this one or speak to it? Let's stand. Praise God. Pastor Kelly and the team, would you come Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Wow, God is so good. Hmm. Wow, 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 wow. Hi, Hannah. Good to have you back. Would you just allow the Lord to highlight whatever that storm is right now? Maybe you're just at peace, maybe there's nothing going on. But for you, if, if there's a if there's a place of darkness, maybe like last week with Pastor Bo speaking, maybe the darkness is in you and you just You need to let his light shine into those areas for freedom and healing. Maybe like this week, the darkness is surrounding you, and you're just sensing, man, this is a storm, and maybe your initial response is, oh, God, help, save the day, and maybe he's just telling you today, speak to it. Whatever that is. Maybe it's in your parenting, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your finances, maybe there's you remember that the storm? The storm came on suddenly. When, when something comes on suddenly, it piques my interest. I'm not saying that it's always demonic, but it, it could be. When there's something, think about the thing in your life, whatever that is. If it just happens suddenly, I'm just like, man, that is just like the enemy. Hey, just humor me. Right where you're at, just under your breath, would you, if you've got that, whatever that is that you need to speak to, would you just, in your own words, just say, peace be still you don't have to like quote 14 verses at it and speaking king james like i said right can you just imagine those winds and those waves imagine the disciples freaking out like you've been this last week could you just say peace be still peace be still Every assignment of fear and anxiety in this room, every demonic assignment of fear and anxiety, I just take authority over. I speak to you. I command you to be silent. I command you to step aside, to leave this room, to go to where Jesus would send you right now. Right now. Lord, we come into agreement in this house, in this place, with the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Lord, we come into agreement with 1 John that says perfect love drives out every assignment of fear and anxiety the Lord right now would you show us how much you love us would you just let his love just wash over you right now I'm seeing this these winds and waves die down it was a 20 foot wave when we started praying and it's starting to come back down to normal some of you right now you, you haven't had peace in weeks and the peace of God is shifting things in your heart even right now Some of you are going to go home today, and for whatever reason, today or this week, you're going to realize that the storm isn't as big as you thought it was. Jesus. Hey, if you need prayer today for, for anything, if you need somebody, if it's, if it's bigger than you, and you need some, someone to partner with you, you're welcome to come up to the altar at any time when, when Kelly starts singing. But we're just going to close out with one song, and I just want you to let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart with the supernatural transaction of peace and His perfect love, and and then we're going to be out today. Jesus.
1: We belong to You, Father. Love has come we orphans no longer brought into your light and freedom by the blood and the mercy of Jesus it's rising it's rising the song of hope from us set free it's rising it's rising it's rising up. Hallelujah. To you, God of the deed. Hallelujah. You've opened blinded eyes to see. We will praise you. You are the everlasting light. Hallelujah. God of the redeemed oh, Sing verse 1 again We belong To you Father that has come We're orphans No longer into your light and freedom by the blood and the mercy of Jesus. It's rising, it's rising, the song of hope from us every day. It's rising, it's rising, it's rising up. Hallelujah, to you, God of the redeemed. Hallelujah, you've opened blinded eyes to see. We will praise you, you are the everlasting light. Hallelujah, to you, God of the
0: Praise God. Hey, if you need to take off, I, just feel free to go whenever you need to go. If you want to stay in worship and allow the Lord to minister to your heart, if you need prayer, you can do that. And Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited. Next week, we're going to hear some testimonies of my friend. Some of you guys know Matt O'Neill, and he went on tour with a band called Corn and light in the darkness like you'd never believe. I mean, story after story of being in places where some of us never dream of going and seeing the love of the Lord and the light of the Lord and miracles. I mean, just incredible stuff. I can't wait to hear that next week as we continue Light in the Darkness. God bless you guys.